Yerushalayim. We're going to learn a little bit about the parsha. The psukim that I printed on the sheet are from last week's parsha, Achremot. But you may remember that Achremot and Kedoshim are very similar in certain aspects. So I printed these psukim because of the Ramban, which we want to look at. Let's look at the first pasuk and see if we can make something of it. Do not allow yourselves to become tmeim, unclean. Now, of course, the word titamu is a hard word. I mean, what is it that I'm supposed to prevent ourselves from doing? And uh, so we know that uh, a strong, that the, the two strong uh, issues for the Torah are arayot, sexual deviation, and avodah And very often, these things are done together. There's a together aspect between sexual indiscretions, and we saw by Pinchas, it'll come up soon, and and uh, and avodah zarah. But the avodah zarah, I mean, after all, the Moabites, the Moabite women came to destroy Am Yisrael and get them all involved in idolatry. So you see that there is a certain kind of connection. So the Pasuk says, Do not allow yourselves to become Tamei. Key. I mean, the key is, is not exactly a rationale, but it's something worth thinking about. The goyim, the nations, that I am sending away from this place, the place called Eretz Kinaan. I'm sending away all these goyim, and that reminds us of an interesting, of an inch of sorry, I didn't, I didn't get it. So David sent a, we uh, send it again. I'll try to get it. Again, the first Rashi, the first Rashi in the Torah asked the following question. Why? Jews and I always got it. Bill tried to curse the Jews. I didn't get it. Oh, here. Let's do it. Well, I was going to say that Balaam tried to curse the Jews, but Hashem reversed the curse. Uh, the word destruction, if if you look at it backwards, is Melech, is king. So he reversed yeah. the curse. Yeah, but at the end, at the end, Balaam gave advice to the Moabites, gave advice to the Moabites, and they uh, sent the women to entice the people to become... Uh, uh, it ties the people to do idolatry. So, in that regard, Bilam was actually um, successful. Okay, so let's look again. The first Rashi in the Torah, in the first Rashi in the Torah, Bilam asked the question. Bilam asked the question. 
not the first Rashi, the Torah. Rashi asked the question, why does the Torah start with Breshit? Why do we have to know how God created the world? What we really want to know is what are we supposed to do? What does God want of us? That would be more relevant. And therefore, the Torah should have started from the first mitzvah that was given to Am Yisrael, which is the mitzvah of Kiddush HaChodesh, the declaration of the new moon that was uh, that was given to us with the words Chodesh Chodesh months uh, are, are given to you, Bnei Israel. You you decide. You decide what's going to be. Right? That's that's uh, uh, the question that Rashi asks. The answer that Rashi uh, gives. The answer Rashi gives is that. We had to understand that creation is something that could be done by God only and even undone by God if necessary. So what is undone by God? Where, where is creation undone by God? So Rashi says, the first Rashi, Rashi says, Asher ani mishalech mipneichem. He doesn't quote this pasuk, but for us, we're here. Asher ani mishalech mipneichem. I'm sending them away. What does Rashi say? Rashi says the people who lived in Eretz Kenan, the people who lived there when we came on the scene, led by Yoshua ben Nun, we're going to capture the land. refers to the nations that would be sent away from Eretz Kenan. So Rashi says, Rashi says the they came the. Uh, the agents of the people who lived in Eretz Canaan, they came and they said, what do you want from us? God put us here. We're here because God put us here. So how can you come and fight us and chase us out of Eretz Canaan? You're going to be doing something against the divine will. And therefore, the Torah wanted to teach us, and also teach the rest of the world, that just as God, can create a reality, God can undo that reality for a higher cause if there, there, there is one. So B'nai Yisrael, B'nai Yisrael will offer the land of Israel through Avram Avinu, through Avram Avinu, and when Yeshua Benun came in to conquer the land, that was the only possibility, that was the only possibility, and therefore we learned, we learned at that time that everything can be attributed to God's will, even if it seems to contradict what God willed at an earlier time. And so the people who come and say to us, don't attack because God put us here, we say, no, no, we have a new message from God, which is that you've got to leave. So that's what these words mean. I'm sending them away. Send these people away. The next pasuk, pasuk the whole country, I, as, as I said, I don't know exactly what the word titma means, but it's not positive. It became defiled somehow. You know, defiled is also the demands a kind of a, of a, of a interpretation. And I will remember. And I'll, I'll I'll remember its sin, the sin that it that it it sinned on the land, the things that have been takia that Yoshua, 
and the land will uh, vomit them out. Right, vomit them out. And now you have you have uh, this understanding that the people who lived there, because they were idolatrous in their nature, and they they coupled the idolatrous with sexual offenses, you, however, are charged with keeping the Torah, and don't do all these horrible things that the Canaanites did, and this refers to all the people who are part of Am Yisrael in any way, manner, or form. All these terrible things that are listed in the parish of Akremot. And then again, in the parish of Kiddoshim, these terrible things that they did. Who were there before, they, they kind of, uh, uh, they, 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 made the land somehow unclean. And then the Pasuk finalizes. It says, And then the the land will not expel you. You'll be there. You'll be able to maintain as long as you don't do what they did. Even, you know, because you will not defile the land as the nations of Canaan did originally, since you will not defile the land, you're not going to get kicked out. So the interesting thing, uh, it's okay. I mean, if God says, look, uh, we're giving B'nai Yisrael the land of Israel, but there's a condition. You have to, you have to do it. I mean, everybody knows. When you buy a house, you're in a neighborhood. That neighborhood can have certain limits. You can't go into any business you want. You can't have, you can't do different. So, so we have a kind of a deal. We have a deal with a Kodesh that as long as we maintain a, a certain amount of connectivity to Torah, we won't be expelled from the land if we don't maintain that. We will be excelled in the land. Nevertheless, these words, these words, uh, here. The Pasuk talks about the land of Israel as though it was a living organism. And I'll remind, right? I'll remind myself of that transgression of and the land will vomit out those who live in the land. The land will vomit out. I mean, I don't understand. I don't understand exactly what the Torah is trying to tell me. I can understand that we'd be punished here. The the Jews, the 10 tribes were, were exiled were exiled by by an army, the 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 Assyrian army. Exiled the ten the ten tribes, the Babylonian army. The Babylonian army exiled 
the the other tribe, what was left, the Roman army exiled the Jews who lived in Eretz Kedan at that time. What does this mean? What does it mean to say you could say it's a a kind of a, a parable or a metaphor. Could say that. Rashi, however, Rashi says this, Vomit. Well, if you do the right thing, you won't be vomited out. It's like I'll tell you a story about the king, the son of the king, it fed him something, I guess, uh, rancid, something that wasn't good. He can't swallow it. They vomits it out. Rashi says. That's how it is with Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael Eretz Yisrael can't kind of stomach people who do, who transgress. And then he quotes the Targum of Uchelus, right? That, that it kind of purifies. It's a, a purification process, vomiting. But again, again, why did the Torah, why did the Torah tell me this? Why did the Torah just say, you're going to be punished? Be punished severely. You're going to lose your connection. You lose the connections. I think that we have to think in terms of, in terms of the fact that we're the only nation in the world that received its dwelling directly from God. I mean, we don't know we don't know how every nation, the Ramban will teach us something about that in a moment. We don't know how the Babylonians got to Babylonia, how the Indians came to India, how the English came to, to England. I mean, how was that part of the divine plan? But we know how we came to Eretz Israel. It was designated as the proper place for us to live because it had some sort of connection to the Torah. You couldn't live there if you didn't keep the Torah. That's what the that's what the person says. And so we still don't understand why this idea of vomiting out the people who lived in Eretz Israel makes sense to us today. And I think that the Ramban is helpful. So let's learn a little bit of the Ramban together. Ramban starts off by saying, The Torah is very zealous in its obligation, in, in, in creating an obligation for us against sexual indiscretion. Bavur Haaretz, because of or in favor of the land. Shetitma 
Because if we're not careful about this particular matter, we're going to be sorry. And the land will vomit out those people who do who, who do this uh, uh, non-acceptable sexual activity. And so he goes on and says, He says, I don't understand. Isn't like arayot something you do with your body? I mean, it's like a, an action that you take. And if it's an action you take, so what's it got to do with the land? Why did the Torah just tell me it's forbidden? And if I somebody does it, so he's punished, like everything else. What is this connection that the Torah makes between the transgression of Arayot and the land? And the land, and then the Ramban says, Sodadavar. He doesn't mean Kabbalistically. He means clearly, if you think about it, you understand the connection between the land and the punishment and the transgression. You'll understand it. So Sodhadavar quotes a pasuk that relates to this matter. And what does that pasuk say? That's a pasuk in Hazinu. Banchel Elyon Goyim, Bafrido Benei Adam, Yatsev Gvulot Amim Begomer. Let's do it again. Banchel Elyon Goyim, Adchel is Nachala, inheritance. When God gave each of the nations of the world its place and said, every place is going to have a different language. Remember, that they tried to build a tower that went up to heaven. And as a result, they were uh, granted different languages to speak so they couldn't get together. So what does the Pasuk say? When the Elyon, when God gave Nachala to the nations, when he separated groups of people from each other, he, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, made boundaries. All the English speakers here. All the French speakers here. All the German speakers here. All the Ukrainian speakers there. That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did. However, there's a difference. The way God treated Am Yisrael to make them Amo, their nation. Well, everybody had a different language, so there's a question. The pasuk, the pasuk is not clear because we don't understand what What did God give to His nation that He didn't give everybody else? Everybody had a, a place and a language. Place and a language. Here's the Ramban. Rabban says, we have to understand. Hashem HaNichbad. Hashem HaNichbad is a way of saying, I know something about God. Nichbad, he's honored. Barah HaKol, he created everything. And the, the 
power that drives the engine of creation in the lower created world comes from the higher world. And he allowed every nation, call Amvaam, you see, call Amvaam, every single nation, in their particular place, in their particular kind of ethnic, uh, uh, their, their, their ethnic being, Umazal, Yadua, they gave them a, a a star, a constellation that was well known. Kasher no Dabit as we know from the famous astrologers of the time, they knew what constellation in heaven controlled the things in one nation and, and which constellation was in another nation. That somehow God allowed them all to retain this distinction. As each nation had its power, its support, its constellation that was looking after after them kikalaktikulam mazalot bashamayameni God arranged for these constellations for these constellations in heaven to be in control. Ukvohim alechem ukvohim alechem alacheyon and above the constellations was angels the angels around God. So the angels became like more dominant over them. So, so, so I wanted just to try to understand what the Ramban, what the Ramban is doing. The Ramban is, is explaining to us what the meaning of Avodah Zarah is for non-Jews, right? The meaning of Avodah Zarah for non-Jews is that they usurping the order of things. They, they, they apparently, according to the Rabban, would be allowed to worship a multiplicity of gods if they just did it right. <clears throat> If they just did it right. Again, I, 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 I just want you to understand. I want you to understand that according to the Ramban, according to the Ramban, the, the Jewish people, Am Yisrael, left Mitzrayim in a state of confusion. They were not certain that Moshe Rabbeinu was representing the only God that they should worship. And apparently, I mean, this is what I'll just tell you what it says in the Chumash, that when they came to, to Yamsuf, 
when they came to this great barrier, this water, which wouldn't let them go forward, and they heard the Egyptians approaching behind them, they were really not confident that their problem had been solved. And on the other hand, the Egyptians were not confident, were not confident that they had lost. They didn't think, even though that they had gone through terrible pain, the 10 plagues, the firstborn, the death of the firstborn. I mean, they, the, the, uh, the Egyptians had gone through this terrible situation, and here they are, chasing after B'nai Yisrael. And the reason that the Egyptians were able to, to, to chase after B'nai Yisrael was because they did not believe in one God. They did not believe in one God. And it was as though, the according to this Ramban, according to what the Ramban is saying, that God understood. They understood. I mean, in order to take the idolatry out of B'nai Yisrael, there had to be slaves in Egypt. So you have this picture. B'nai Yisrael is stuck at the water. And the Egyptians are coming after them. B'nai Yisrael do not have confidence that they have solved the problem and that they, the life is going to start anew. And so Moshe Rabbeinu says, somebody jump, jump in, it'll be all right. And fortunately, such a person was discovered. Nachshon, who jumped into the water. The water split, the Jews came through. The Egyptians could not believe that they would be a God that would be uniquely connected to. Could not believe that there'd be a God that's uniquely connected to the Jewish people and would not give them the benefit of some sort of doubt. And so they chased along and the waters collapsed. The Egyptians were killed. The Jews were saved. And it's about that moment in the history of the world that the Torah says, we are of Hashem that the Jews believed in God and believed in the God's servant Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu. So this passage from believing in the multiplicity of gods to believing in one God that supports everything in the world was difficult. It was difficult even though you individuals, Avram Avinu, Yitzhak Avinu, Yaakov Avinu, individuals were able to rise to the occasion. But at that time, they were not able to pass that idea down to their children. Avram was able to teach Yitzchak, but he was not able to teach Ishmael. Yitzchak was able to teach Yaakov, but he was not able to teach Esau. So that the idea that there's one God in the world was apparently a difficult idea. 
it was a difficult idea to absorb. And so here the Ramban is saying, what the Ramban is saying is that the world was organized. The world was organized in a way that idolatry was permitted. It was acceptable for those people who lived in the idolatrous creation of HaKadosh Baruch The idolatrous creation of HaKadosh Baruch was the constellations, the mazalot, the stars. All of those things had an effect, had an effect, and the people said, that makes sense. It makes sense that, that, that that's, if you look at the Rambam, they said, well, it makes sense. If God gave power to, God gave power to the constellations, to the Mazalot. So, of course, we should be thankful to them. We should turn to them. And so, if he didn't go through that process, which we've talked about uh, otherwise, by being enslaved to people who are of no consequence, he didn't realize, he didn't realize somehow that God is one, that there's a uniqueness to everything about God, then you would not be able to inherit the land. So by Aminu Bashem, even though the nation, it means that the nation, but not that they can't be any transgressors, of course, they could be transgressors, but the nation, there was a moment when the nation as a nation believed in Hashem Echad, and that moment became the critical moment in the creation of Am Yisrael. So what Avram couldn't do, and Yitzchak couldn't do, and Yaakov couldn't do, Yaakov, you know, had the better sons and, and, and less good sons, Yaakov. But what that couldn't do, they couldn't teach their children. They could teach the, the unique children, but they couldn't teach all their children. That took place at That's when it happened. That's when it happened. That B'nai Yisrael was able to see themselves, see themselves as being distinct from all the other nations. Other nations were all idolatrous, and that was the way it might be. But Am Yisrael, Am Yisrael was not going to have that idolatrous underpinning. And so you see here, where I've underlined Vinei Hashem, right, a few lines down. Vinei Hashem anichbadu God is the only one. It's true that God runs the world. Well, Eretz Yisrael. So, but you have to understand Eretz Yisrael. Emtzaut Hayishuv. He nachalat Hashem. This is not Emtzaut Hayishuv. The middle of the the place where people dwell. The middle meaning that when goodness comes down from heaven, it goes first to Yerushalayim, to the Beit Hamikdash, to Yerushalayim, to Eretz Yisrael, and then. To the entire world, that's Emtsa Uta Yishuv. He Nachalat Hashem Yuchelit Lishmo. That is 
Nachlat Hashem, it's the place of God. So you have to remember, you have to remember, you know, when you get a present, sometimes you get a present, it's such a nice present. I wish you all nice presents, happy occasions. And you look at that present, years later you say, oh, I remember who gave it to me. Because it had the stamp of somebody's somebody's understanding of somebody's uh, cultural assessment of things. You see in the presence, you see the person who gave it to you. And that's what, what the Ramban is saying. It says, Nachlat Hashem, it's the inheritance of God, it is uniquely connected to the name of God. So every time you're there, whatever you're in there, it's that's what you see. You see the one who gave you the land. Since it's God's gift, it's God's gift to us. And so when we come to Eretz Israel, you know, the Rabbah quotes the Gemara, the Rabbah, Rabbah was, was, uh, was very much a reasonable person. He said, you come to Eretz Israel, you fall down on your face and you kiss it. What do you mean you fall down on your face? Why, why would you do that? Well, because there's a certain kind of living. It lives, Eretz Israel. It breathes. And what does it live and what does it breathe? He says, miyuchedet lishmo. So God did not place angels to dominate Eretz Israel. Moshe didn't didn't give any kind of uh, leadership positions to angels who would take care of things. God did not. He did not do that. We did that to all the other nations. And the Pasuk, as you know, said, you're going to be a schooler. It, it was, it's the, it's the present. It's given to us. Given to us means it has that stamp of a Baruch on it all the time. You just have to let let yourself do it. Let yourself feel it. And you'll feel it. You'll feel it because so many Jews in so many generations and so many times have <coughs> laughed and cried and spoken and only about Eretz Israel that the uniqueness of the place is obvious to all those who allow it, who allow it to be. So the reason that we understand that Eretz Israel is unique and that the punishment of, uh, the punishment of defiling Eretz Israel is exile because God's stamp on the matana that he gave to us after promising it to Abraham, that matana has somehow the taste of the rebunish in it. And therefore, we have to be careful. We have to be careful that while it's true that 
not everybody in Eretz Israel, you may have noticed, is devoted to halacha. Nevertheless, I think it just means that the people who are devoted to halacha have a greater obligation. They have to take care of things. They have an obligation not just to take care of themselves, but to take care of to take care of things. Uh, I want to uh, to mention that next week is Yom Atzmut. I won't I won't give a shear. I will not give a shear next week. But tonight is Yom HaShu'ah, and I would like to say something. I'm not going to say it, but I'm going to read what Rabbi Soloveitchik said when he joined the Mizrahi party in America. So if you look at this at the second sheet, Rabbi Soloveitchik, this is my, I mean, Yom HaShu'ah is a time when we're supposed to remember. Of course, remembering is uh, is a difficult notion and uh, there's got to be a reason. There's got to be something that remembering brings me to action. I just heard Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Lau, the elder, Rabbi Lau, the elder, said that the mitzvah of Malek has two parts to it. Zachor, to remember, and then Lo Tishkach. You don't, don't forget. What's the difference between remembering and not forgetting? He said there was a difference between remembering something and being called to action. So here's what Rabbi Soloveitchik wrote. He says, I was not born into a Zionist household. Of course not. The family was very, started from Rav Chaim, also, even Rav Moshe, and he says, my parents' ancestors, my father's house, my teachers, my colleagues, were far from the Mizrahi religious Zionists. That was kind of a uh, understatement, as they say. They were very far from Mizrahi. He's talking at a Mizrahi convention. They too held, why meddle in the secrets of the merciful one? Meaning, why should I try to rush things? Why should I try to create uh, a redemption if heaven is not redeeming us? Why meddle in the secrets of the merciful one? If I now identify with Mizrahi against my family tradition, the Rob said, he said, I'm trying to explain myself. Because what I'm doing, how come I... I went against my family tradition when I could have. I could have just not said anything. It is only because, as previously clarified, I feel that divine providence ruled like Joseph against his brothers. I feel that divine providence, that means the hashgacha, the way God runs the world, ruled like Joseph and against his, his brothers. Because all the brothers were against Joseph. But Joseph won that he employs secular Jews as instruments to bring to fruition this, his great plans regarding the land of Israel. And you know, 
that this was the one of the major arguments. How could you go to Eretz Yisrael? How could you go to Eretz Yisrael? Uh, after all, uh, it's full of people who are building the land but are not are not religiously connected. So he says it is possible that he employs secular Jews as instruments to bring to fruition his great plans regarding the land of Israel, that the secular Jews somehow have an advantage in rebuilding the land. And I imagine that that was God's plan. I also believe that there would be no place for Torah in Israel today were it not for the Mizrahi. I also think that the Mizrahi has created a, a foundation for Torah, a built-in altar upon which I sacrifice sleepless nights, doubts, and reservations. The Rav says about himself that this was not an easy thing for me to do. Regardless, the years of the Hitlerian Holocaust, the establishment of the state of Israel, the accomplishments of the Mizrahi in the land of Israel convinced me of the correctness of our movements, of our movements path. So you know, you know, it's not easy to know what's actually going on. Not actually, it's not so easy to know who is walking side by side with God and who may be a few steps behind. But I imagine, I imagine that this was not an easy decision for Rabbi Soloveitchik to make. And I heard today, today is, was Yom HaShoah, tonight is Yom HaShoah, remembering, I was to remember the Holocaust. And I interviewed a woman on the on the radio who was uh, a survivor. She said, "Well, they asked her how does she feel." So she said, "She loves Israel. She loves what we've accomplished. She is not swayed by the fact that politics sometimes seem childish and irrelevant." And that the creation, this I'm adding, that the, the creation of the state of Israel as it is today, as it is today, is something of a miracle. And when we say miracle, we don't mean magician's kind of miracle. When we say miracle, what we mean is that it's hard to explain without seeing clearly God's help that uh, this is something special, something special that happened. So I think with this I will I will uh, close. I think that Yom HaShoah, Yom HaZikaron, and Yom HaTzmaut are all part of the same holiday. All part of the same holiday. And and it's a holiday that deserves a time of reflection, moments of sadness, 
and a time of great joy. It's all there. It's all there. It could be that it happened on the same day, but it makes sense. I remember I found it difficult when I was uh, first came to Israel, but today I think that it makes all the sense in the world. I wish you all well, as we said at the beginning of the next week. So I wish you well, Yom HaShoah this week, and then Yom HaZikaron, and Yom HaTzmaot. Next week, all the best. We'll be back in two weeks. Two weeks. Go to. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.